Hey everyone, welcome back to the Monclova Baptist Church podcast. We're thankful that you joined us today. Hey, if you would do us a favor at the end of this episode, make sure that you follow us on our social, Instagram and Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that bell button so that you get notified every time that we post new content. If you also want to stay connected with us beyond Sunday morning, make sure that you download the MRBC app on the Google Play Store or the App Store. Now let's dive in. You may be seated. I want to uh, congratulate a couple people today as well. I want to congratulate Lindsay Hopkemeyer. Lindsay ran for school board in uh, our Anthony Wayne School District and uh, this past Tuesday, she, I was going to say she won, but she, she just, she just smeared the competition. And uh, I want to congratulate her today. And then Gabe Barrow as well. Gabe ran for re-election for uh, Maumee City Councilman, and Gabe won as well. And so we're thankful, thankful for those that are willing to uh, uh, serve, willing to uh, fight for uh, moral values. And uh, I, I appreciate their stand on biblical things. And I want you to pray for them as well, especially, especially as Lindsay uh, faces some some uphill battles, uh, especially in the school district. I want you to pray for her that God would give both of them, but uh, her wisdom and um, strength and uh, just bless them for that. It was a lot of work, wasn't it? A lot of work, a lot of sleepless nights for the spouses, wasn't it? (laughs) Uh, So congratulations. Today, we also uh, have one of our missionary families that are here today. And uh, we uh, are so thankful. Over the last several months, we've had many of our missionaries just home on furlough. And any time they're home on furlough, we want to make sure they get here. And uh, we want you to meet them. And I have not had the opportunity to meet this family until today. Uh, So I'm glad that they're here. And uh, so I'm interested in hearing what God is doing through them as well. We've supported them how long have we supported your family? Since 1996. Since 1996, our church has financially and prayerfully supported this family for so a long time. This is one of our uh, uh, longtime missionary families uh, that Monclova has supported. And so, uh, Dean, would you come? And uh, we want to hear from you what God's doing in your ministry. And then we're going to get right into our message today in Revelation chapter 10. Thank you. It's good to be here this morning. Uh, we want to say thank you to the church for your faithfulness standing behind us. It's, as the pastor said, 1996. Uh, without uh, your prayers and without your contributions, uh, we couldn't be where God wants us to be. So we say a big thank you. Uh, about uh, two years ago now, we moved from our previous place of ministry in Asikawa, a northernmost island of Japan on Hokkaido, to the city of Asikawa, to the city of Sapporo. Uh, in Asikawa, it was just us at the church, and we have now teamed up with a Japanese pastor and uh, it's working out to be a good team because our, our evangelism can get people to come to church and then he's able to deal with them much more effectively because he understands their culture better than we do and he can certainly speak better than we can. And so in the last six months that we were in Japan, we saw four people accept Christ as Savior and considering that's about how many happened during the previous 15 years, uh, we were uh, delirious with joy and then we had to come on furlough. Now there's nothing wrong with furlough, the Apostle Paul did it, but We'd rather be there than here, and that's just a missionary's heart. Um, and we will return next August. We haven't got a return date yet because, well, the airlines don't make that possible. But um, we have a ticket. We just don't have a date. Uh, but again, we want to say thank you. And the video that you're going to see uh, is of our ministry in Sapporo. 
and the things that are happening there that we are anxious to return to. Thank you. We are Dean and Suzanki serving in Japan since 1996. Our first few years were language study. In 1999, we moved to Asahikawa. God then led us to Sapporo, where we moved in April 2022. Sapporo, with two million souls, is the largest city and capital of our northern island prefecture of Hokkaido. We are combining efforts with capable and zealous co-workers, Pastor Ken Kayashta and his wife Yu, to grow Sapoto Bible Baptist Church. The Kayashtas have asked us to convey their deep gratitude to those who enable us to work alongside them. It has been exciting to see this small group of believers pull together to lead a soul to Christ. This 87-year-old who has been attending church services for the past several years, accepted Christ as her Savior and publicly gave testimony. We help with church literature and tract distribution at subway stations, schools, and in neighborhoods, oftentimes in areas where Pastor Kayashta does not have time to get to. There have been successes of this literature distribution. An exchange student from a closed nation accepted Christ as Savior. A man who attended Sunday school as a child now wants his young son to be exposed to Christianity. He faces family opposition, but comes with his son when he can. A bilingual neighborhood lady read about the English service and began attending. Sapoto Bible Baptist Church has seasonal Welcome Sundays to encourage church people to invite others. We also have periodic youth outreaches. We have started English Ministries, something new to the church. This tool has piqued the interest of more than 30 new contacts to come through the church doors. I lead a monthly English interactive Bible lesson. We do a twice monthly kids English class focusing on phonics and pronunciation. We always read a simple Bible story. As part of the children's Bible classes, Sue teaches a Bible lesson, mostly in English. The goal of all these English ministries is to generate interest in God's Word, lead people to Christ, integrate them into the church, and see them become church members. We actively participate in the Japanese services, which is the mainstay of the church. The church's average Sunday morning attendance is now near 20. The church also has monthly afternoon and weekly evening Bible studies and prayer times. On Sunday afternoons, some of the church folks stay to help with various ministry tasks. When we came to Sapporo Bible Baptist Church, there was one young single. Three others have begun attending. This prompted us to try a new ministry. Shortly before this time stateside, we hosted the first young adult gathering at our apartment. We made ice cream sundaes, chatted, and played games. 
the church has spruced up the meeting room. One phase was repainting the ceiling. The second stage was hiding wiring, doing wall repairs and wallpapering. We are grateful for the expertise of a missionary friend and two of his sons who are of invaluable help. Another project was installing badly needed new flooring. After our return to Japan in August, we will work at accomplishing these goals. Attract families to the church. Make the young adult gatherings a regular occurrence. Try to make inroads at universities, of which Sapoto has over 12. Less than one half of 1% of Japanese profess to being Christians. We struggle with the barriers of tradition, spiritual apathy, pressure to conform, and ignorance of Bible truths. But we know that God can open hearts. We are consistently reaching out to neighbors and friends, as well as fostering other contacts. We look forward to continuing our ministries at Sapoto Bible Baptist Church and of outreach to the community. We are grateful for churches and individuals who stand with us through prayer and financial support. Thank you. All right, take your Bibles, if you would please, to Revelation chapter 10, Revelation chapter number 10. We had a really great weekend uh, this weekend at our couples retreat in Frankenmuth. It was a... Uh, um, quick, but uh, enjoyable. And then those that went there, I hope that you enjoyed that time together. And uh, next year, we want to invite all of you to that. Uh, I believe it's the 8th and 9th of November, and uh, we'll give you more details about it. But uh, we had couples of all ages and newlyweds all the way to uh, uh, many years married and, and everything in between. And so it was a great time for all the families that were there. Um, so I encourage you to be a part of that if you're able to next year. Also, I want to um, uh, have you mark something on your calendar, if you would, please. December 10th, we are going to have a friend day on December 10th. We have a guest speaker coming in, David Gibbs. He comes in every every two years. He comes and, and he speaks to our church. He is uh, uh, founder of Christian Law Association, and um, I really enjoy him coming. And we've got a, a day set aside December 10th, and um, uh, we just thought, you know, we're, we're this is a great time of year to be um, getting with people, sharing the gospel with people, telling people about Christ, the Christmas season. We're going to uh, start this by next Sunday. We're going to have pies that we want you to take to your neighbors. And uh, that's a great way to uh, start a conversation and uh, maybe invite them to church. And sometimes getting them here on Christmas Eve or uh, Christmas service is difficult because they have other uh, commitments. And so uh, we have this day set aside. We'll have a really special day. We'll give you more information in the couple weeks to come leading up to it. Um, but I want you to put that on your calendar. Please be here. Be thinking about someone that you can invite. The gospel we given. And uh, uh, just a great day for people to uh, be in church that day. So we'll make it a, a fabulous day for you and your guest. And we'll have a prize uh, for those that bring guests as well, and those that bring the most guests, uh, will have you know, pride Barbie doll or something, a race car, something like that that you'll really enjoy. Um, so, all right, Revelation chapter number ten. Revelation chapter ten. We are making our way through this book, and I hope this has been a 
encouragement to you. We are approaching this as we study this as the revealing, the true meaning of the book of Revelation is revealing of Jesus Christ, or we want to see Christ in everything that we see. Many, many times we think about the book of Revelation, we just think of the, the uh, um, areas that cause us to be fearful, or we, we don't understand all of the things that uh, the Bible tells us this. And sometimes we hear messages preached and, and people make things up, and that's not what we want to do as we're going through the book of Revelation. If we don't understand it, and there's going to be some things right in Revelation chapter 10 that uh, John is going to write that, that uh, the Lord says, don't write these things, you know, shut it up. Don't write these things down. This is for another time. And so there's no reason for us to try to figure out what God does not give to us. But this book is, this chapter specifically, we're still studying the great tribulation. So we are right in the middle of the tribulation. The church age is gone because we're raptured into heaven. And after we are raptured into heaven begins this seven-year tribulation. The last three and a half years of that tribulation is called the Great Tribulation. And as we're studying through this book of Revelation, we're in the Great Tribulation. It's a, a seven-year period after the rapture of the church. We're right in there. What we find, though, when we got to chapter number five, if you recall, there was this book that uh, uh, was held up, and, and John began to weep because there was no one that was found on earth or anywhere that could open this book, but, but one of the elders said, weep not, because there is the lion of the tribe of Juba. Judah. He is able to open this book, and these seals, and seven seals are opened, and the seven seals that are open that we've studied each of those seals this is the events of the tribulation that take place. And as each seal was opened, we saw a different event that's describing the events that would happen during the time of the tribulation. But when we get to that seventh seal, our study finds that there's seven trumpets. So we went through six seals. The seventh seal is opened. And while that seventh seal is opened, there's seven trumpets that are sounded. This is describing the worst part of the tribulation. And we saw last week, I believe it was, where we saw where the, um, uh, the angels are loosed from the river Euphrates and a third of, of humankind is killed because there'll be 200 million soldiers, armies that will march across this, this uh, uh, globe and, and uh, a third. And that could be as many as some 2 billion people are killed. What a horrific time this is going to be. And so we see these seven trumpets. Chapter 10 is a chapter that describes the events between. So there's a, there's a pause between the sixth trumpet that we looked at and the seventh trumpet that's going to be uh, opened or heard in Revelation chapter number 11. In chapter number 10, between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet, there's this pause or these parentheses. And John writes this, and I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was upon his head and his face was as it were the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a, a little book open and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth and when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seventh thunder had uttered their voices, I was about to write. 
And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. Here John is about ready to write exactly what was heard when he heard these voices and he's told, don't write them. The angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hands to heaven and, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that therein are in the earth, and the things that therein are, and the sea, and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again, and said, Go, and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angels which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it, and it shall make my, thy belly bitter, but it shall be thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings." Right in the middle of the worst part of the tribulation, the seventh trumpet is sounded and billions of people are killed. God's judgment is poured out upon the earth. In the seventh trumpet that we'll study here in upcoming weeks, there's this pause. John sees this angel. The Bible calls it a mighty angel that came down from heaven. And I want us to look this morning some attributes about this angel. Who is this angel? I think it's important for us to understand who this angel is. There are some things in this passage of Scripture that God does not reveal to us. He says to John, don't write these things. It's not for us to know. But there are some things about this Scripture in chapter number 10. It is for us to know. And mainly one would be this. Who is this angel? Who is this mighty angel? And what's the purpose of this angel? I want us to look, first of all, at the majesty of this angel. Look in verse number one. As we see this angel, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven. And he describes this angel. He says, first of all, this angel is clothed with the cloud. And a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was, as it were, the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. Look at this definition of this angel. And this is where many a times when we get to this passage of Scripture and things like this in Revelation, they're so difficult for us to understand. What is John saying here? What is the purpose of what John is saying here? Why is John saying this? And, and I want us to see who John is speaking of because chapter number 10 reveals something about this angel, who this is, and what is happening in heaven at this time. We find in chapter 10, this angel that's described is clothed with a cloud, the Bible says. Now, this is not the clouds as we might see in, in uh, the sky as we look up, but this is, remember as we looked in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 7, as we saw in Revelation chapter 1, we saw described Jesus Christ. He was coming in clouds, and the clouds that were described were the Shekinah glory of God. Just like in the Old Testament, remember we looked at the fact that there was a cloud that guided the, the Israelites by day. God's glory is seen here. In chapter number 10, verse number 1, as these clothed in clouds, what he means by that cloud is this, he's clothed in glory. 
Matthew 17, 5 talks about a, a cloud that engulfed uh, uh, Christ as he was there on that mount. And, and the voice comes down and says, this is my beloved son. This is the, a cloud that surrounded Jesus Christ, that cloud in the Old Testament that led the Israelites. It's the glory of God is what we see here. So the first attribute of this angel that we find in Revelation 10 is when John sees him, he sees the glory of God upon him. The second thing he describes here in this same verse is a, a rainbow was upon his head. This rainbow, why would, who would have a rainbow upon his head? So the, the glory of God is upon this one that we find in verse number one. And secondly, we find that this, this rainbow is upon his head. What does this speak of? Well, in the Bible, the, the rainbow speaks of a covenant. Remember back in the Old Testament when there was a great flood and, and God destroyed the earth, what did he do? He put a bow in the sky, a reminder or a covenant in the sky. That covenant was what? That he will not destroy all of mankind again or this earth again by, by way of the flood. This shows the grace of God. That rainbow that we see here in verse number one is describing as we see this person, we see the glory of God upon them. We also see the grace of God upon them. John is describing what he sees in this one. The Bible also says this, his face as it were of the sun. What he's speaking of as he speaks about the face of the one that, as it were the sun, he's speaking of strength, strength. Revelation 1.16 says this, the sun shineth in his strength. If you recall, and I don't have the time to go back with and, and study the previous nine chapters that we've studied, but each of these are building up towards something. And what we've studied in previous chapters, we build upon as we come to chapter number 10. And you'll see that today. I pray that we'll unfold that. You'll see the, 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 the purpose of chapter number 10 here and who this is in verse number one. We see his glory that is revealed in Revelation chapter 1. We see his grace that we find all throughout the Bible. We see his strength as revealed in Revelation chapter 1 verse 16. The strength of him is described as this sun. The Bible talks about this as well, this feet like the pillars of fire. We find this one same in Revelation. You mark this in your notes, Revelation chapter 1 verse 15. Remember Revelation 1, we saw Christ. John gets a glimpse of who Christ is. It's the revealing of Christ in chapter number one. This speaks of his holiness, his feet like pillars of fire. He's a holy God. Fire consumes, fire cleanses. And what we find is this in chapter 10, verse number one, it's clear to understand that this one that John is describing is Jesus Christ. Jesus is going forth in holiness to judge. Jesus is the one that we see the glory of God up upon him. Jesus is the one that throughout the book of Revelation, we're going to see strength. Jesus is the one that all throughout the book of Revelation, we're going to see his grace. And so I believe this morning that it's good for us to see and understand verse number one is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of the worst tribulation, in the midst of God's judgment being poured out upon the earth, John pauses for a moment or John is paused for a moment from heaven. And what is is revealed once again is Christ. Remember, the book of Revelation is not about what is going to happen. 
So many people look at this book as what is going to happen, and they get consumed with things about what's going to happen. The book of Revelation is about who is going to come. It's about who is coming. It begins in chapter number one about describing Christ. It ends in the book about Jesus Christ setting up his reign and his rule in his kingdom here upon this earth. The book of Revelation is about the revealing of Jesus Christ. And halfway through this book, in the middle of this travesty that's happening upon earth, billions are dying. God's judgment is being poured out. In the middle of all of these things, before that last trumpet is sounded, John John gets a glimpse once again of Jesus Christ. It's about the revealing of Jesus Christ. As I said, in the middle, in the midst of the worst of the tribulation, Jesus Christ is seen. John is reminded of Christ. Now, in verse number two, I want us to continue this. In verse number two, the Bible says of this angel, some events that are happening now. He describes this one that he sees. In verse number two, he says this, and he had in his hand a little book open. And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. I want you to see, secondly, the proficiency of this angel or the proficiency of Christ. Revelation chapter 5. How many of you remember back in Revelation 5? I want you to to go there because if we don't get this, we're going to miss Revelation chapter 10. In Revelation chapter 5, remember... The church is described in chapters 3 and chapters uh, 2 and 3. Christ is seen in chapter 1. Chapters 2 and 3 is the church age where the church is seen. And and oftentimes, except for the church of Philadelphia, uh, uh, the church is is scolded and the church is told that you need to repent. And and, and, uh, uh, except that church of Philadelphia is seen in chapter number 4. Remember, John hears the trumpet and we 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 are taken raptured into heaven. Chapter number five gives us a glimpse into heaven after this event. There's a a book with seven seals. And that book that is seven seals, John, he is crying in heaven because there's no one to open this book. Remember in this chapter, look with me in verse number six. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God set forth in all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and 20 elders fell down before the lamb. That's Jesus Christ, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors and which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. Thou hast redeemed us to God, and by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, we shall reign on the earth. It was Jesus Christ. Remember that what was taken or given to Satan because of sin. When mankind sinned in the garden, mankind lost what God gave to mankind. 
God created man and said, man, I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to rule the earth. The, the, the purpose of God creating man was to care for God's creation here on this earth. But mankind sinned. And from that point forward, he was given, he gave over to Satan the, the deed of this earth. De Satan began to, sin began to rule and se uh, sin began to uh, uh, come into this world. And mankind now is in bondage of sin. Remember, I, I showed you where Jesus was there on the, that mountaintop. And Satan said, if you would bow to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this earth. And Jesus could have bowed. Satan wanted uh, Jesus to bow. But Jesus knew that there was coming a time that he was going to go to the cross and he was going to shed his blood and that he was going to rise again. And because of the resurrection, there was coming a day that Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign. He doesn't have to bow to Satan. He didn't have to kneel to Satan. He didn't have to give over to Satan. He was going to conquer because of the blood and the resurrection from the grave. This is Jesus Christ. So as John in heaven sees this book that is held up and no man is able to open this book, he begins to weep and one of the elders say to John, John, weep not for the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Jesus takes that book as we just read and he's able to open those seals. Come now to chapter number 10. And he had in his hand the little book and it's opened. It's the book that we find in chapter number five is the one that's in the hand today. It's open today. How do we know it's open? We see the seals that have been opened, and the only one that's able to open those seals was Jesus Christ, the Lamb, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. It's told now in verse number two, as he sets his foot upon the sea and his other foot upon the earth, as in the Old Testament days, as, as kings would come and conquer lands, those that had seas and those that had lands to, to show the majesty and the might of that king, what that king would do is he would put one hand in the, or one foot in the uh, sea and one foot on the shore and he'd raise his flag. And what he was saying is this, I have victory. I have won. I am majesty. I am almighty. What he is saying is the victory is mine. This is important for us to see because Satan, who is in charge, Satan, who has the rule, the Antichrist that now is, is ruling and reigning upon the earth, and Satan filling him, and mankind is given over to sin. And, and here we find Jesus Christ, as described in chapter 5, is coming in chapter number 10, in the pause of this all, and John is saying, and I see him with one foot on the sea and one foot on the land, and he is proclaiming victory. He he is the one that will rule and reign. Jesus is the conqueror of this earth. In verse number five, verse number five of this chapter, verse, let's begin in verse number three. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. You know, it's so interesting when Jesus came, the first time he came, the Bible describes him as a lamb to the slaughter. He opened not his mouth. As he was there in the, in the courtrooms and he's being asked questions, he, he says not a word, the Bible says. He doesn't defend himself. 
He goes to the cross like a lamb to the slaughter. He goes because he realizes this. I must go to the cross. I must do the will of my father. I must die for mankind's sin. I must pay the price. I must, I must pay the payment for mankind's sin. He must go to the grave. He will rise again. He'll defeat death. He'll defeat hell. Here we find Jesus Christ. Now we find him as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's roaring with a loud roar. He is now the victor of the earth. He opens this book. Verse number four, and when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I saw about to write. And I heard a voice from the heaven saying unto me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. As Jesus, the one in chapter five that we find is the one that can open this book we find in chapter 10 that Jesus has opened the seals. The judgment of God is poured out upon the earth between the first and the sixth seal, the, seventh, the, seven, uh, the seven seals, the seven trumpet not yet sounding. Jesus Christ is seen in his majesty. In verse number three, down through verse number seven, we read something, though, that I want you to see as well. We see the mysteries. We see the mysteries of Christ. Seven seals come seven trumpets. Out of seven trumpets come seven thunders. And in those thunders, there comes to him a message. The Lord cries with this loud voice. I, when I read this, I, there's so much there that we do know, but my mind obviously goes to what probably many of you. It'd be good to know what he wasn't allowed to write. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus also being the line of, line of the tribe of Judah that we find in Revelation 5.5. 5. The lion has prevailed. The lion has prevailed. The lion now roars. We find, mark this down in your margin someplace of your Bible, Joel 3.16, the Bible says this, the Lord shall roar out of Zion. We find the prophecy of Joel here coming true. The lion, the lion, the Lord, the lion, the tribe of Judah is roaring out of Zion. Thunders have been sealed up. He's told not to write. There's interesting, as I thought about this, you know, there's some things about God that's just too wonderful to explain. And there's some things I believe about this time that are too horrible to understand. There are some situations that are going to take place during this time of tribulation that God says it's not good to tell. It's something we wouldn't understand. We wouldn't know what to do with. Matter of fact, in Daniel, the same thing happened in Daniel chapter 12. Daniel said this, I heard, but I understood not. He was being shown the future. He was being shown things that were going to happen. He heard what was going to happen, but Daniel says, I couldn't understand it. Not everything that God knows, he reveals to mankind. There are certain things that you won't know until it's necessary. Boy, this passage right here was so good for me because it tells me several things. It tells me God knows everything. But it also tells me this, 
I don't have to, but I still should trust him. You know, in life, I want to know everything about everything. I don't like not to know my future. I, I don't like not to understand. There are some people in this room, there are some things that God has allowed to happen in your life that you don't know the answer to. Why does God allow death at certain times? I've said this many a times. I, I, I remember after my dad died, I said often to God, God, this just doesn't make any sense. Why would you allow this? And the truth is, all these years later, I still don't have an answer. There are things that have transpired in my own life over the last several months, and I've said to God, God, this just doesn't, un I don't understand this. It doesn't make any sense. Why, God? Have you ever had events in your life that you want to know the answer? Why does this happen? Why did this person hurt me? Why did you allow this? God, why are you doing these things? I believe that God could do anything he wants to do. How many of you believe that? Say amen. But God, why do you allow for certain hurt to come? Why, why, why do you allow for these circumstances to happen in your life? There are certain things about God that we'll never know. But there's something that I learn here in this passage of Scripture. Although there are certain things that I'll never know, God knows why. And God feels there are certain times in our life that it, with the information that we would know, it would hurt us more or cause us more grief or maybe cause us more pain or cause us more confusion. And sometimes it's just better not to know what God is doing. What we need to know is this, that Jesus Christ still reigns, that Jesus Christ is still the victor. That Jesus Christ is still in control. That no matter how bad it might seem, no matter how uh, 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 things that Satan is doing seems like it's just wrecking our lives, no matter how much power Satan thinks he has, no matter how bad it seems the world is getting, Jesus Christ is still there standing with one foot in the sea and one foot on the uh, land, roaring with that lioness roar. He is king. And he's king of your life and he's king of mine. In the areas of your life that you don't understand, what you must understand is Jesus is still king. He is still the victor. He is still majestic. He is still all-powerful. He is still God. There are certain things that just belong to God. God is above us. And God is beyond us. And could you imagine if we could understand everything about God? How small God would be? How many times have you as parents ever said to your kids, just trust me? But why? Just trust me. You, you, you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, climb into the stove while it's on. Just trust me. You don't, you don't want to go do that. Just trust me. And the kid says, 
but so-and-so does it or so-and-so's parent, just trust me. And we wish so badly that that child would understand, but we know that there's no way for that child to understand. That's why we're the parent. And I think about that so often with God. God is above us and God is beyond us. And there's so many times that we might not understand. There's so many uh, events that we just think that, God, why don't you do it a different way? But God is God and God does it the way and it's always right. Verses five and six, Jesus lifts up his hands and he says, this phrase, time shall be no more. Look with me, if you would, on that. Look, look in verse five. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea. And what he's saying is he created everything. Everything that is seen was created by God. And Jesus, this angel, says this, that there should be no more time, there, there should be time no longer. So I want you to think about that as Jesus lifts his hand and he says time should be no longer. This isn't the end of time, is not what he's saying. Because there's still one more trumpet to sound. There's still so many events that we're going to read of end times prophecy. The, the, the millennial reign of Christ has not happened yet. What is Jesus saying then? Time should be no longer. That word time there does not mean minutes and hours in a day. That word time there is the same word as it means delay. And I want you to read this this way, if you would with me, please. There should be delay no longer. Delay no longer. The mystery of God is going to be revealed. You see, he says to John, John, I'm not going to give this to you now. It's not for us to know. Immediately after that, as John is penning these words, he hears this word, delay shall be no longer. The mysteries of God are going to be revealed. Why? Because our questions are going to be answered. This is what I want you to understand today. Even though you might not understand what God is doing now, there's coming a day where you will understand. Just because things in your life don't make sense now, just because there's things in God's word you might understand now, just because there's things about God that you don't know, there's coming a day that it's going to be revealed. God is going to reveal it all. What, what Jesus is saying here is this, God has given mankind time, but time has run out. When he says this, that time be no longer, what he is saying is this, in the middle of that sixth trumpet and that seventh trumpet, in the middle of this great tribulation, when, when, when this tribulation is unfolding and mankind is dying and God's judgment is being poured out upon this earth, what he is saying is this, God's long suffering is over, judgment is coming. 
we love that verse that God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But the, the, the Jesus Christ here stands with one foot in the sea, one foot there in the, in the, in the uh, land, declaring himself to be majestic, declaring himself to be the conqueror. And then he says this, don't, don't write these things down. I don't want you to utter these things as of yet but I do want you to write this down. At this time, in this moment, at the writing of this, as John is seeing into the future, he says this, that mankind's time has run out. God has given mankind the opportunity to trust Jesus Christ. Even during the tribulation, the gospel is being preached and mankind is being saved. But we find in chapter number nine that mankind is still not repenting. Mankind is still not forsaking their sin. They're still hardening their heart. And judgment is coming and God says to the world. It's over. My judgment is here. Time has delayed God's judgment. God has been long-suffering. And oh, I say to the one today that is putting off trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, time is running out. I say to the nations of this world, time is running out. I say to the ones that think that victory was theirs as they're murdering unborn children, time is running out. I say to the one that thinks that they can live the life they want to live and be who they want to be and defy God and defy God's word, time is running out. I say to those that are opposed to Israel, that are coming across Israel, I saw this week that the nations, the governments of this world are coming against Israel. Oh, it's just like reading the front page of the news of the Bible where all the nations, God says, I'm going to put a hook in your mouth and I'm going to draw you in and Jesus Christ is going to come and he is going to defeat them. Why? Because time is running out. Oh, if you read back through in the days of Noah, what were they doing? They were eating and drinking and giving in marriage, thinking that everything was fine. And Jesus said, as in those days of Noah, so shall it be in these days. Men were eating and drinking and giving in marriage. Mankind is just having a good time in life. Mankind is living it up, doing what they want to do. They're thumbing their nose at God. But I want you to know that time is running out. And judgment is going to come. When you see the things unfolding in this world, and you wonder how much worse can it get, there are Christians that are questioning God, don't you care? God, do something. There's a reminder here in chapter number 10. Time is going to be run out. There's going to be no longer any delay. What we are experiencing is God's grace. What we are experiencing is God's mercy. Oh, our nation and nations of this world and mankind are vile and are wicked, but God in his long suffering and God in his mercy is still calling men and women and boys and girls to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you that the fields are still white in the harvest. 
There's still work to do. There's still souls that need to be saved. The gospel still needs to be preached. For this moment, there's time. But God is not going to be long-suffering forever. Right in the middle of this great tribulation, between the sixth trumpet and that seventh trumpet, there's a pause. We're introduced once again to Jesus. We're reminded that Jesus is the victor. In the midst of horrible judgment upon this earth unfolding, there's a reminder that Jesus Christ is king. But the reminder is as well that judgment is on its way. God is not going to just allow things to continue to go on. God is not going to continue to delay. And I want you to see in closing, in verse number eight, the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, go and take the little book which is open in the, in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, give me the little book. And he said unto me, take it. Eat it up. It shall make thy belly bitter, but it should be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And John says, I took the book. I ate it. And it was in my mouth, sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter or sour. And this is the commandment. You write this down. This is the job of the saints. And he said unto me, thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Here in chapter number 10, verse number eight down through number 11, John represents us. Jesus is saying, take this book. Eat it and go tell. What's he saying? Eat it. Why does he eat it? Feed upon it. Feed upon God's word. He's saying to John, John, feed upon this book. Put it in your mouth. You'll find it sweet as honey. Feed upon it. Oh, I say to you this, this morning, build your families upon it. Build your marriages upon it. Build your parenting upon it. Build your life upon it. Make every decision based upon God's word. This is where we've gone wrong, church. We have God's word, but it doesn't affect us in our day-to-day -day decisions. We make decisions without counseling God's word. And God reminds John, he says, John, eat it. Feed upon it. This is what you're going to find. It's sweet and it's bitter. What you're going to find in this book, you're going to find the God of love, but you're also going to find the God of wrath. You're going to find a God of grace, but you're also going to find a God of judgment. You're going to find a God that's long-suffering toward us. We're not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And you're also going to find a God that says, delay no longer, judgment is coming. And he says to his saints, 
go and prophesy. Right in the middle of all of this judgment, right in the middle of all of this, remember I said to you this, this last week, why does God tell us what's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation, Jeff, if we're not going to be here? Why do we need to know? He tells us so that we'll tell. In the church that sits quiet without warning the world that God's judgment is coming is a disobedient church. In the Christian that sits quiet without warning the world that God's judgment is coming is a disobedient Christian. It is our mission. It is our calling. It is our responsibility. This is what's happening to the churches in Philadelphia or in, in uh, uh, chapter number two and chapter number three. We're finding these churches, they lost their first love. They're busy doing nothing. They're going through the motions. They're going through their religious exercises. They're going through their traditions, but they've lost their calling. They've lost their love. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Chapter number 10. It's for you and for me. It's a parenthesis right in the middle as we're studying about the, the destruction of mankind and the wrath of God that's being poured out. There's some parentheses right here between these two uh, uh, trumpets. And God says, you know what? Don't worry about the, don't worry about the, the, the death and destruction. Don't worry about what those, those thunders are saying. Don't worry. You're worrying about the wrong thing. You know what would happen? If we knew what those thunderings said, we'd be speaking about what the thunders are saying. And we'd forget what our purpose is. Our purpose is to tell. The book of Revelation is not there so that we can spend all of our time trying to figure out the things that we'll never figure out. The book of Revelation is there for the Christian to get motivated to tell the world that judgment is coming. But Jesus saves them. It's a reminder to you and to me that life is but a vapor. You and I are not guaranteed another moment. But what are we living for? What are we living for? We were reminded at our marriage conference this past weekend uh, to root out things in your life. And all that thought was such a convicting thought to me. Because so often I'm so busy doing good things that I'm not doing the things that God desires for me to do. And I convince myself and I tell myself this is good, so God must be happy. But if I spend my entire week dealing with good things and I never share the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have not spent my week doing the greatest thing. And I need to stop convincing myself that God is pleased when I think that second best is good enough. Church, let's get the gospel out. I don't know how to say it any clearer. I don't know how to say it any plainer. 
I see the events of this world. I see the world turning from God. I see it becoming anti-God. It's like the prophecies of this book are unfolding before our eyes. Let's not fall asleep. Let's do as this angel said to John, take it, eat it, and go tell. You know what we need to be known for as a church? A church that feeds upon God's word and shares it with the lost and dying world. That's it. That's it. If we're known for anything else, church, we're known for the wrong thing. We ought to be biblicist. What the Bible says we ought to do, what the Bible tells us to go, we ought to go. What the Bible tells us to believe, we ought to believe. We ought to feed upon it and do everything we can to get it to Japan, in Africa, in Asia, in South America, in North America, in Monclova, in Maumee, in Toledo, in Holland, in Swanton, and every other place that you and I live, our responsibility is tell the world, Jesus Christ has come. You just finished listening to a message from the preaching ministry at Monclova Road Baptist Church. If it was a help to you, make sure that you let somebody know about it. If you need help beyond this message, make sure that you follow us on Instagram or Facebook or check out our website, monclovabaptist.org, and we would love to connect with you there and help you with anything that you might need. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time on the Monclova Baptist Church Podcast.